Yes, we are in the book of Philemon, and we're actually going to finish that book tonight. I know you were not here last week. Um, you know, well, maybe you don't know, we took a little break during where we talked about this idea of freedom and how we find freedom in Christ to stand firm in Christ and never go back to that yoke of slavery, that yoke of sin again. If you missed last week or missed any part of last week, um, number one, you missed a lot of fun games. I cannot recreate those for you, so I'm sorry you missed that. But if you weren't here, you can go back to our KF Students podcast. It's on Apple um, podcast, it's on Google, it's on Spotify, all those different things. You can go back and check out the messages from last week if you missed what we were talking about. Um, So tonight we're just going to jump right into the book of Philemon. We're going to go into the questions because anytime we study a book of the Bible, it's important to have a basic understanding of some of the things that are in that book or some things about the book so that we kind of know what we're studying and what's going on, what's the greater context of what's happening. So I ask you guys these questions every week that we walk through books like this. So I'm going to ask you, who wrote the book of Philemon? Paul. We believe it was Paul. In the very beginning, he actually makes reference to Timothy as well. So there's some scholars that believe maybe Timothy was his scribe because you saw last time we were together, Paul says, hey, this part I'm actually writing with my own hand. So some people believe that Timothy maybe helped him not not come up with the words, but wrote down what Paul was saying. So we know it was Paul. Um, When do we believe it was written? Okay, 60 to 62 A.D. It's been a long couple of weeks. I see some yawns out there. All right, 60 to 62 A.D. Do you remember what two books we we understand that it was written around the same time as? Two other letters in the New Testament. Anybody remember? Ephesians and Colossians. That's exactly right. All right. And who was it written to? Who said that? Philemon. Yeah. It, no, it's, it's Philemon. That's who it's written to right there. Now, hold on. You were, you're on the right track back there, okay? That's not who it was written to. Who was it written about? Starts with a what? Starts with an O. Anybody? Onesimus. That's exactly right. He wrote this. That's the why. Why did he write this? He wrote this because of Onesimus. And what we've talked about as we've walked through the first, you know, 20-something verses of this book is that Onesimus, he was a slave. He was a servant of this guy named Philemon. And what we understand from history and scripture is that Onesimus ran away. And we believe because of what Paul writes in here and scholars tell us, we believe that when he ran away, he took some of Philemon's money with him. So he is a runaway slave who has stolen the money of the person that he's supposed to serve. And the problem is, is as he was running, somehow he encountered Paul. And somehow through that relationship, through that encounter, Philemon here, or excuse me, Onesimus hears the gospel of Jesus and he surrenders his life to Jesus Christ. He asks God to forgive him of his sin. He puts his faith and trust in Jesus. And now Onesimus is in this awkward situation. Because now he's a believer in Jesus Christ and he knows what Paul has taught him and he knows what scripture tells him. He's supposed to live obediently to God, which would tell him, hey, you need to go back to where you came from and you need to make things right. But he's also a runaway slave who stole money. So if he goes back, he faces some serious consequences under the law. So he's in this situation where he's not sure what the right thing is to do here. 
So Paul is writing on his behalf to help him because Paul knows Philemon. He knows the guy that Onesimus ran away from. So he's doing what he can to help Philemon see Onesimus the way that he should, which brings us to the main idea. Do y'all remember what the main idea is of this book? And what else? Yes, that's it right there. The main idea, the main theme of this book is the power of the gospel to transform lives and impact relationships. And what Paul is trying to help Philemon see is that Onesimus is not who he was before. When he was the slave, when he ran away, when he stole, he's not that same guy because the gospel of Jesus Christ has transformed his life. And because it has done that, it should affect the relationship that Onesimus and Philemon have. It should be different than it was before. And that's what we've been walking through as we've looked at this book where Paul is talking to Philemon and Paul is helping him understand the gospel and helping him understand the difference that it's made in Onesimus. And now he gets to around verse 20 where he makes a direct request for Philemon. Only place in the book where he makes that request. So what we're going to do tonight is we're actually going to back up to verse 17 because that kind of gives us a little context. We, we, we technically got all the way through verse 20 last time we were together. So we're starting in verse 21, but to make sure we understand where we're picking up, we're going to back up a couple verses and see that request that Paul made of Philemon. So I'm going to ask Miss Michaela, come on up here, and she is going to read verses 17 through 25 for us. So let's find you a microphone that is on and working. There we go. That one's working. And if you guys will please stand in honor of reading of God's word, you're going to read 17 through 25. Mm -hmm. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you your owing me, even of your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that your prayers will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark. I don't know Aristarchus. Yep. <laughs> Demas and Luke, my fellow worker, workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. Can you pray for us? Dear Jesus, please let us have a good night, and please let God speak through Pastor Jesse to this. Um, let everyone hear what they need to hear tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Miss Michaela. I put her on the spot. I didn't tell her I was going to ask her to pray beforehand. But, okay, so we covered 17 through 20 last time we were together, but we need to make sure, let's look at it again really quick. Let me read those verses and just walk through that a little bit So as we move forward. Paul writes, so if you consider me your partner, remember he's writing to Philemon, receive him as you would receive me. He's saying, Philemon, I want you to welcome Onesimus the way you would welcome me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 
So right here in this part of this letter, Paul has made an appeal to Philemon to receive Onesimus as a brother in Jesus Christ. And he says, hey, I, I want you to receive him the same way you would receive me. And that's, that's a big deal here. This is the only place in this entire letter where Paul says, hey, I want you to do this. He's kind of made this argument the whole time, but now he gets right to the point. But he also makes a statement here. He says, if Onesimus owes you anything, I'm going to pay that for you, or I'm going to pay that for him. Paul is basically asking Philemon to do the right thing as a brother in Christ. He's saying, hey, you, you know what, what you have the right to do. As, as a slave owner, as somebody who Onesimus ran away from, Philemon has every right to punish him for running away, for stealing from him. He has every single right in the world to seek the legal recourse that he has at his fingertips. But Paul is saying, that's not what you're supposed to do. Remember, the, the driving idea in this book is it's, it's the gospel transforms lives and it impacts relationships. And Paul's request here reflects that idea because if Onesimus has been changed by the gospel, then Philemon, it's no longer a master-slave relationship. It's a brothers-in-Christ relationship. It's no longer I have the power over you. Now they are on equal standing when it comes to their relationship to each other and their relationship to the gospel. And Paul is telling Philemon, you've got to treat him differently. You can't treat him the way you treated him before. And then Paul begins to close this letter in verse 21. And this is where we get into new scripture tonight. He says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than what or even more than I say. Now here's the interesting thing here. We don't know the extent of Paul's expectation. Now he kind of told us here that that hey I, I want you to welcome him as a brother. I want you to kind of forgive his debt because I'm gonna pay that. But there are some scholars that speculate that Paul was actually expecting Philemon to release Onesimus, that he would no longer be a slave with him before, for him anymore. There's other scholars that say not only would he do that, but he would actually work hand in hand and partner with Onesimus to minister in the gospel together. The problem is we don't really know because Paul doesn't tell us that. But what we do see here is that Paul trusts Philemon to do the right thing in this situation. And understand this, this isn't Paul's expectation that Philemon is going to be obedient to Paul. This is Paul's expectation that Philemon is going to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. And he's confident that Philemon is going to do the right thing. But he also believes that Philemon is going to go above and beyond. That's what he says right there. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. He's like, you're not just going to do the right thing. I know you. You're going to do more than that. Now, we all know what doing the minimal amount of work looks like, don't we? Because at some point in your life, somebody has given you a task, and you have made it your mission to do exactly every word they said and absolutely nothing more than you had to do. Anybody in here ever been guilty of that? For instance, let's just take an example. You've been asked to do the dishes in your house. You know what the expectation is to do the dishes, right? In most people's homes, maybe not yours, but most people's homes, it's you wash the dishes, you dry the dishes, you put the dishes away, or put them in the dishwasher, turn on the dishwasher, whatever it may be. But I'm willing to bet there's some of us in here, because I know I was guilty of this 
probably last week, of not doing everything that you're supposed to do. You washed them, and then you set them on the counter, and you walked away. Now, did you technically do what you were told to do? Right? And when your parents called you back and said, hey, why didn't you finish the dishes? And your argument was, well, you said wash the dishes. You didn't say dry the dishes and put the dishes away. Are you technically wrong? No, you're not. However, (laughs) Miss Kathleen says, yes, you are. (laughs) But if you know the expectation, and the expectation is to go above and beyond what you intend to do, you have the opportunity to surprise your parents and actually do it without them having to tell you. That, that's kind of what, what Paul is talking about here when he's writing to Philemon. He's saying, hey, you know the right thing to do, but I know you're going to go above and beyond. You're going to do the things that I haven't even asked you to do yet. He's not saying, hey, you're going to do the minimum. He's saying, I know you, Philemon. I know your character. I know you're going to go above and beyond. It's kind of like this, um, and you don't have to turn there, but there's a spot in uh, Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is talking. And when Jesus is talking, what he does right there is, is he illustrates what it looks like to go above and beyond. He says, hey, if somebody sues you for your cloak, give them your tunic. If somebody tells you, I need you to walk a mile with me, you walk two miles with me. If somebody strikes you on the cheek, you turn and you give them the other cheek. Jesus lays out this biblical principle of going above and beyond the minimum of what we have to do. And Paul is saying, Philemon, I know you're going to do the right thing. I know you're going to go above and beyond because the minimum he has to do, the minimum is to take him back. The minimum he can do is to prosecute him and punish him. And yet Paul says, I want you to forgive him. I want you to receive him the way you would receive me. In fact, I know you're going to do way above and beyond that because that's what grace looks like in the life of a believer. Because here's the thing, if God did for us the minimum that he had to do, you know what that means? He never had to send Jesus. Because the minimum he had to do was nothing for us. And yet he went way, way past above and beyond. And he sent us on Jesus to pay the price for our sin that we couldn't pay. That's far past anything that God ever owes any one of us. That's a picture of the gospel playing out right here in this letter. And we we see that, we see as Paul talks about this, that, that we can see the gospel play out. We can be reminded that Jesus did for us what none of us deserve. God gave us through him what none of us could have earned because he went above and beyond for every single one of us. And there's hope in that. And there's joy in that. And that's what Paul is communicating here as he's writing this letter to Philemon. He's saying, hey, he's different because of the gospel. That should change the way you interact with him. And it should be the same in our lives. If you sit here tonight and say that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then scripture says the gospel has transformed your life. You have gone from death to life. You have gone from darkness to light. You are not who you were before you met Jesus. But that transformation should affect the way you interact with people around you. And sometimes, let's be honest, it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't for me. I'm willing to bet sometimes it doesn't for you. But Paul says that's exactly what it's supposed to do. And then Paul goes on in verse 22. Listen to what he says here. He says, at the same time, Prepare a guest room for me, 
For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Do you all remember where Paul is as he's writing this letter? Jail. So he's in jail. What's, what's his hope? How does he have hope that he's going to come see Philemon? How does he have hope that he's going to go join these people? Remember, they're in separate areas. They're in separate cities. Paul is nowhere near Philemon and these people that he's writing to. He's a prisoner. He's a captive. And yet he says he has hope that he's going to travel to Colossae. This is where Philemon is, that he's going to travel there and that he's going to be able to see him soon. It is amazing to me that Paul can continue to find hope no matter what situation he finds himself in. If you go through the New Testament and you read about Paul's journey, about how he put his faith and trust in Jesus, about how God used him on these missionary trips, about how he was beaten more than once, about how he was shipwrecked, about how he was imprisoned more than once, and you follow him over and over again, what you see in Paul's story and in Paul's letters is hope. Because his hope is not in his circumstances. His hope is in the power and the providence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of the hope that he has in Jesus, it changes the way he looks at the rest of the world and it changes his expectations for other people. He says, hey, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. And oh, by the way, I hope to be with you again soon. There is absolutely no reason for Paul to hope that he's going to get out of prison. No reason for him to hope that he's going to be with these people again, except the fact that he's trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 23. We're getting close to the end. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Now, kind of like he mentioned some names at the beginning of this letter, now he's mentioning some names here at the end. Let's walk through who these people are before. Has anybody in here ever heard of Epaphras outside of this before? No. No? Okay. Most people haven't. However, if you remember, when we walked through the book of Colossians, you saw his name twice. It was in Colossians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 4. And remember, this letter was written around the same time as the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, listen to this, verse 7 and 8. He says, this is Paul, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So right there we learn a little bit about this guy named Epaphras. We see that he has served faithfully and he speaks positively of the Christians in Colossae. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, again, Epaphras, who is one of you, so that means he's from Colossae, he's one of the Colossians, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. So there we see he's from the same area that these people are from. We see that he's a servant of Jesus. We see that he's prayed faithfully for them and he's worked hard for them. This is a guy that's there in prison with Paul who is just as passionate about these people as Paul is. And then the other names here, Paul references Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. Mark, the Mark here is believed to be the disciple who wrote the book of Mark. 
And if you know anything about his account from Scripture, you know that at one point in time, Mark and Paul were on a missionary journey together. They were companions, and as they traveled, Mark left. Mark pretty much abandoned Paul on that missionary journey. In fact, in Acts chapter 12, 38, you don't have to turn there, but, but Paul has an opportunity. He's talking with this guy, Barnabas, and, and he's got um, this guy, Mark, and, and Paul and Barnabas disagree as to whether or not they're going to take Mark. Barnabas is like, yes, Mark's a good guy. Let's take him. Paul says, no, he abandoned me last time. I don't want him this time. And yet here we see that Paul is saying, Mark is with me again. Somehow, some way, the gospel has worked in their lives and that relationship has been reconciled. And Mark is faithfully serving again, even though he stepped away for a time because the gospel transforms lives and impacts relationships. And you've got Aristarchus. He shows up in Acts chapter 29, and he's, a, he's another companion of Paul as he's traveling. And then this guy, Demas. Demas shows up one other time in scripture, and it's 2 Timothy 4.10. And there you see Demas, or, or what you find out about Demas is that he was walking with Paul, he was serving with Paul, and then he just walked away. And we never hear anything about Demas again. And what you see here, you've got Luke, so I don't, I don't want to skip out on Luke. Luke is the guy who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. What you see here in these names that he's mentioned is you see several people who have served faithfully with him over time and they've stuck with him. You see other people who have served faithfully and either wandered away and come back or wandered away completely. But what you see here is hope for those relationships because those guys that wandered away, we don't know what happened with Demas, but we know that the gospel fixed the relationship between Mark and Paul. We don't know why. We don't know how, but we know that the gospel impacted their relationship. They were brought back together to serve faithfully together again. And then in verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul closes this letter in a very similar way to the way he opened it in verse 3. And it's in this last verse that we see Paul communicating the driving idea of this letter one more time. The only hope that each of us has as individuals and as believers together is in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the crazy thing, and this is what drives me nuts about this letter. We don't know what happened. We don't know what Philemon did. We don't know what happened when Onesimus came back because history would tell us Onesimus is probably the one that delivered this letter to Philemon. But in this letter, we can find hope. Hope that these two men that were at odds with each other might have been reconciled. That their relationship that is described here might be restored because of their connection to Jesus Christ because that's the power of the gospel to transform lives and impact relationships. And that's the basic question I want to end with tonight. Has the power of the gospel transformed your life? Think about that for a second. If you say you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, has, has there been a moment, do you know that there was a time where you understood your sin and that you can't fix it, that you can't solve that problem that every single one of us has? Is there a time that you understood what Jesus Christ did when he gave his life on the cross, when he bled, when he died for your sin and my sin? 
Is there a time that you've put your faith and trust in him, knowing that he did what you could not do? Have you asked him to forgive you once and for all? Because if you have, the gospel has transformed your life. As I said before, you've moved from death to life. You've moved from darkness to light. That's what scripture tells us. If you're here tonight and you haven't done that, you can do that right now. Ask God to forgive you of your sin. Put your faith and trust in him. Follow him with the rest of your life and watch how God works in you. Watch what the gospel does and then see how it transforms the relationships around you. If you're here tonight and you know you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is it changing the relationships in your life? Is it impacting the way that you interact with people? Do you see people differently than you did before? Not as people who were just there, or maybe people who make you smile, or maybe people who get on your nerves, or maybe people who, oh my goodness, they're living in disobedience to God right now. I better stay away from them. Do you see them differently? Do you see them instead as people who just like you need the same grace of Jesus Christ? Because scripture says that's the way we should see them. That's the way Paul is trying to help Philemon see Onesimus. He's not who he was. He's different. The gospel has changed him, and because it's changed him, it should change the way you interact with him. The same thing is true for us. If the gospel has changed you, it should change the way you interact with other people. It should change the way that you see them. Instead of just seeing people, seeing people in need of a Savior. Are you allowing the gospel to impact the relationships in your life? because that is what we're called to do. And that is a question that only you can answer. That's my challenge for you tonight. Look at your relationships. Look at the people you interact with every day. And if you say you're a disciple of Jesus, is it playing out in those relationships? If it's not, maybe you need to take a moment and talk to God tonight. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you that we can come together. God, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the power that it has to, to make us who we are not. God, to move us from what we deserve to what we can't even think about earning because of your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you for the power that it has to transform our lives. And God, I pray right now that you'll help every single one of us in this room that knows you, that trusts in you, Lord, to let that same gospel impact our relationships. Lord, let it change the way that we see people. Help us to see people in need of a relationship with you. Help us to see people who have put their faith and trust in you as brothers and sisters in Christ, people that we need to interact with differently, speak to differently, think about differently. Help us to see people the way that you see people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.